to uh, read a psalm together, and uh, it's Psalm 102, if you want to follow it in your Bibles. We have Bibles uh, hidden under the welcome desk, if you'd want to find one. It'll also appear on the screen, Psalm 102. In my Bible, it has a helpful kind of introduction. It says, the prayer of an afflicted man when he is faint and pours out his lament before the Lord. I find that helpful because um, as you read it, you'll understand that that's the background of this psalm. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. I'm like a desert owl. Like an owl among the ruins, I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants, her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord, in the course of my life he broke my strength, he cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, O my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them. And they will be discarded. But you remain the same. Your years will never end. 
The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Psalm 102. And as in many psalms, they are songs of experience and they are journeys through a person's experience of life and of faith in God. It's given a title, as I said earlier, a prayer of an afflicted man when he is faint and pours out his lament before the Lord. I like Eugene Peterson's translation of that. Uh, He entitles above the psalm in the message version, a prayer of one whose life is falling to pieces and who lets God know just how bad it is. It's really honest, isn't it? And I guess all of us have struggled at some point or other in our lives, or if we haven't, Not that this is a prophecy over your life, but uh, if you haven't, praise the Lord. Bless his name for those blessings in your life. At a recent uh, meeting of the Cornerstone Ministers, uh, often we sort of ask one another questions uh, in a way of accountability. Um, But on one occasion, we were just sharing together the the pain of um, sickness in our fellowships. And the extent of sickness in our fellowships. And the pain of um, battling with people in sickness and for their healing. And um, sometimes being so sure that God has given us a word that would say, yes, I am going to break into this situation. And we stand on it and then that person dies. Dan was sharing of that. Uh, with regard to Jackie Stratton and how he personally had felt God say, she's going to come through this. And they battled. And Star Valley called for days of prayer and fasting. And they would meet early in the mornings. And they battled. Mike shared with us the number of people, quite extraordinary in, in sort of percentages of people with cancer, over at Bloxham. And also the sort of spiritual battle that that actually provokes as well, even within the church. Where is God in this? And even where is your faith in this? And here is a psalm An honest crying out to God of a man who is afflicted. I uh, was in a meeting with some of the leaders of Fresh Streams. I'm in a a sort of group of people, uh, Baptist ministers and leadership teams that gather for conferences and prayer and fasting. We're, We're asking God to bring revival to our nation. And one of the guys had just got back from Bethel in uh, California, Reading. You may have heard of the church, Bill Johnson. And uh, it was just amazing, some of the things that he was sharing. Absolutely amazing. 
They have uh, many, many students. They call them supernatural students. Isn't that amazing? Looking at Callum, supernatural. They're interns. And uh, they will go out regularly praying for healing. There is something that God is doing. I mean, whatever the ins and outs of all the theology of that, and if you want to discuss that further, see Edward, because, you know. But God is doing something amazing supernaturally in that place. And these uh, youngsters were out praying for people on the streets, and uh, they were just packing up when a man came to them and said, you must come and pray for my wife. She has cancer. They're going to operate tomorrow. I want you to come and pray for her in hospital. And they couldn't. They had to get back. They couldn't go with this man to the hospital. And one of them uh, remembered that part in in Paul's uh, experience where even the handkerchiefs that he had uh, touched were used for healing. You remember that in Acts? And they looked, they didn't have any hankies. All they had was a hat. And so they prayed over this hat and said to the man, go and put this hat on your wife and pray for her. Which he did. He went to the hospital. He put the hat on his wife and they prayed together. And within the next three days, she was declared free of cancer. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Andy was telling me that they were in, in the worship time, in the evening service, and the, the sung worship, three and a quarter hours. Sung worship. But he said it didn't feel like three hours. He described the presence of the Lord was so heavy. It was just, you know, all you could do was just worship. And of course, they, uh, he was seeing all this stuff falling from the ceiling. And he wondered, because they had really bright lights. You know, if we, if we stuck on the sort of um, the spotlights there, you'd probably see sort of little barrels of dust. And he was looking up and he thought, gosh, there's loads of dust in this place. (laughs) And then he looked again and it was gold dust just falling. Amazing. And of course he said, because we're human, he said people were stopping worshipping and getting out their mobile phones and taking pictures of the gold. And the worship leader had to say, hang on, folks. We're not worshipping the gold. He says, don't know why, but it often happens. Don't get carried away with it. Kind of got sidetracked because, there you go. And we know God heals, don't we? I know God heals. I've seen him heal. But I also live with the tension, and as we were sharing as the ministers, the pain of seeing people not healed. Uh, You know, many of you know my dad's been ill, and, uh, you know, I know that God can heal him. 
And healing is high on the church's agenda, and, and rightly so. For many years, it wasn't even on the agenda. It, I don't know where it had gone. I mean, you read through the pages of Scripture and the Gospels, it's there everywhere. Jesus told his disciples to go out and preach, heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead. It's always been part of God's work. Just in the Old Testament, reading in my just uh, daily readings of Naaman, you know, and how miraculously he was healed. And all he had to do was go and wash in the Jordan. And he refused initially because there were much better rivers to go and wash in. Jesus healed the sick. And in more modern times, certainly the, the influence of John Wimber um, in, in past decades and through his ministry, um, so many others who have got hold of this and, and just pressing in for God for more. There is also, though, the danger of that becoming an end in itself. That the focus on healing becomes almost paramount. And, um, and you know, there just needs to be a little bit of caution on that. But in this psalm, we're kind of Confronted with this man's pain and his suffering. And he cries out to God. And we know that not all are healed. We live in the tension of the kingdom now and not yet. We know the dangers of expectation and disappointment. The danger of extravagant claims that are not always substantiated. It's interesting, Andy was saying that in Bethel they've now employed someone to go and verify every claim of healing, every claim of a miracle, so that it's not just put out there as something you know, hyped up. But ask any pastor, minister involved in pastoral ministry. There's also the other side of the hurt people who have not been healed and the questions of why them and not us. And the questions of was it because I didn't have enough faith or was something blocking. I remember when David Watson, I, I was a fairly young Christian, when David Watson... And, uh, you know, he was a great charismatic leader and brought a, an amazing renewal to the, the Anglican church particularly. Great evangelical. And there were many prophecies that when he had cancer that he was not going to die. Many prophecies over him. And, and he died. And there was a kind of, you know, really uh, sort of deflating thing.
think one of the ministers shared that it was very difficult even just to say, well, we're trusting that God knows best in this situation. And some were criticizing him for saying, well, well, that's not enough faith. I remember when Vicky Dunlop uh, was very ill in hospital and we were all praying and fasting for her. And she had had that prophecy, this sickness will not end in death. You know, and, and we believed for it. You know, I remember when she was very, very sick, so many of us uh, were praying for them. I remember just in the middle of the day, just God, just, I don't know when it was or what time it was, but just being, and I know a number of people were at that time, just to speak life over her. We're just reminded by the Lord just to speak life over her at that moment. And, you know, we were praying for that, and she, she pulled through amazingly. The truth is, even those who are healed may get sick again, and, and those who are healed will still one day die. These bodies of ours, if you've not experienced it already, begin to wear out. And the greatest salvation, greatest healing of all is salvation. The word heal and save in the scriptures, often the same word is used. And so in these psalms that I've been looking at over the months, these songs of experience, this is a hard one because it is the prayer of an afflicted man. This man is ill. And he describes how he's feeling. He speaks of his days vanishing like smoke, his bones burning like glowing embers. It left him feeling totally exhausted, as is often the case when people are really ill. His inner resources utterly spent. His appetite has disappeared. I forget to eat my food, which of course causes his weight loss. I am reduced to skin and bones. He's a poet as well because he likens himself to a solitary bird of prey perched amongst the deserted and devastated city. And to make things worse, there are those around him, enemies who take delight in his plight. For I eat ashes as my food. No joy for me, just sorrow and pain. Again, Eugene Peterson says, my enemies bring me meals. Casseroles of ashes. And if you have been seriously ill or you have watched someone seriously ill, you will identify with the feelings of this man. And he kind of seems to turn on the Lord, doesn't he? He's kind of saying, I've got one foot in the grave. What are you doing, Lord? Where are you? But I love the Psalms because they are that honest. You know, you can't say to this bloke, come on, don't beat about the bush. Tell us how you're really feeling. He's got it all out there before God. How do we react to such words? Come on, get a grip. Too much self-pity. Defeatism. Where's your faith? Where's the victory? 
that this man is a man of faith. That's what I love about the Psalms. Then he doesn't leave it there. He, he brings it all. He pours it all out to God, to God. And as he begins to pour it all out, and this is the difference, because as he begins to pour it all out, he begins to look at God. And again, his eyes get taken off himself and off his circumstances and onto God, who is the object of his faith. In verse 12 onwards, he sets his sickness in the context of his knowledge of God. But you, O Lord. And there aren't many passages in the Old Testament like this psalm that celebrate the eternal nature of God's person with greater eloquence. Look back through time, verse 25, as far as you can look back, when the whole creation was brought into being, God was there. He laid the foundations of the earth. I love it when I watch all these magnificent, nature programs, life on earth, and they're doing a sort of flicking back of David Attenborough's amazing things. And I, I kind of think, well, haven't you got it yet? He is just saying how amazing it is. This amazing planet. Haven't you got it yet? Who made it? It's even more amazing who spoke it out and it was, who laid the foundations of the earth. Look forward through time as far as you can see and God will be there too. He is without beginning and without ending. He was there always and he will always be there. And his promise is that he will come and transform this old, worn out world into a glorious new creation. In fact, Paul takes that theme up, doesn't he? And he says, the whole creation groans as it is subject to frustration, groans for the redemption of those whom God has chosen. And with that redemption comes the redemption of the whole creation. This man is feeling worn out, but he realizes everything wears out. His clothes will wear out. He looks around the world, he thinks the world will wear out too. But God remains the same. And his years will never end. And he has a special purpose for those who are his people. And he looks forward to another time, verse 13 to 16. Amazing verses where he refers to an appointed time and the Lord will appear in his glory, and in a magnificent vision, he will restore, he sees him restore in Zion. And he talks about us as well. That a people not yet created, a future generation, will praise the name of the Lord. So in the midst of his troubles, in the midst of his pain and suffering, he marvels at God's plans and purposes and trusts that they will be fulfilled.
And as we come tonight, we come and share that same hope and faith, but we know so much more than that man did. For we know Jesus has come. The Word made flesh, who died for us, we've been singing of it. Died for us, thought of me above all. Amazing, isn't it? And he rose again, ascended, poured out his Holy Spirit and has promised to return. Something that we remember and celebrate as we share communion together in a moment. Because there is hope beyond the grave. I took a funeral this week. I was just asked as... Um, there was some vague connection, I think through the library, actually. But it was really sad because they kept telling me, oh, he wasn't a religious man, and he wasn't a religious man. and We, we don't really want anything you know, too religious. How sad to take a funeral of a man where, and you, you know me, I, I just said, you know, we're trusting Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I wasn't allowed to have many scriptures, but, you know. What a difference to take the funeral of someone who has walked with the Lord. And say, yeah, we have confidence. They are at home with Jesus. And we will meet again when he comes in all his glory. Now, we don't know where that man is, because only the Lord knows the depths of his heart how he might have cried out to the Lord. There was certainly something from those very early days because his, his wife, um, lovely lady, has recited these old hymns. They didn't, want, didn't know scriptures, didn't know, but recited old hymns from the past. I found myself leading a congregation in Leaders, Heavenly Father Leaders, which I, I didn't know at all. But the words, all about Jesus. She knew them off by heart. And what this man glimpses, we know for sure. We have a hope that is steadfast and certain beyond the grave because of Jesus. Just a couple of things I learned from this psalm. Things you already know. When we pray, let's pray honestly with God. Let's not pretend to be holy. Just pour out our hearts to God. You see in this psalm, there is a man with a relationship with God because he can do that. Prayer is a believer's response. And it's also a believer's resource. He pours it all out to God. But also he prays humbly. There's also a sense of humor in this psalm as well. If you, if you can pick it up, Eugene Peterson does. It's almost as if he's saying, well, it's all right for you, God. You go on and on. Eugene Peterson translates it. You have more years than you know what to do with God. Without beginning, without end. But he does ask for healing. Do not take me away in the midst of my days. But there is no demand. No, I've got a, no sense of I have a right to be healed and I, I claim this healing. 
I don't always understand the whole healing thing. But I do know God, and I know that he loves us. And I know that he's not waiting for me to get the right formula before he decides to do anything. God can do anything. So when we pray, we humbly pray. With faith and expectation, yes, but humbly. Not an arm lock on God. No manipulation or magic charm. It's a relationship. It's Jesus, when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, take this away from me. Yet not my will, but yours. Thirdly, finally, pray patiently. Paul wrote of the sense that we wait patiently for the end. We live in the here and the the now and the not yet of the kingdom and the tension of that. One day our bodies will be renewed. Hooray! I don't know what it will be like. It's going to be glorious. But at the moment, we're in that in-between time. And I would love for us to move into a season. I mean, for me, it's salvation, a season of salvation. That's what's imprinted on my heart. I want to see the lost saved. If we were in a season of that, where heaven is touching earth in that way, and there's almost that physical presence of God that you tangible. I, you know, when Andy was talking about, I don't know if I've ever been in that kind of environment. He was saying it's all, almost touchable. The presence of God was so heavy on that building, within the monks of the people. Yet he came home and his wife, who's been really ill, there was no miracle healing. You know, so you live in that tension. But we also live in that expectation that we will be made new. And when Jesus comes again. And so tonight we're going to share communion and we're going to pray for anyone who wants to be prayed for for healing. Because God heals. And I think he heals more when we ask. But we can't say he has to. That's in his hands. But we pray in faith. We're going to make that available. If you've got someone on your heart that you're carrying, I've uh, just brought some post-it notes. And uh, at that time when I invite you to, if you want to come and pray for that person, just put their name on a post-it and just stick it on the table there, just as a, a physical way of bringing them before the Lord tonight. So let's come and pray as we prepare just to share communion together. I'm going to ask the band just to come and play.